the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. True North AM 1460 FM 101.1. The Answer. Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. or via podcast. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Shining a light on the leaders and luminaries of today and tomorrow. You're listening to True North with your host, Dirk Hobbs. All right, good Saturday morning. You are listening to True North. Isn't that a great song uh, that opens us up there? And that voice that introduces us. Uh, this show is my sister, Allie, and she is all the way over in Charleston, South Carolina. She and her husband, Mac, put that together for us and uh, just really appreciate that. That is a cool song, and we are no doubt uh, going to meet a luminary and star today. Her name is Joe Beckwith, and we'll get to her in just a moment, but I uh, want to give a quick shout out to our Air Force Falcons as, as per the usual. I'm chiming in on my two cents about how things should go in the NCAA. And uh, I've got our Ole Miss Rebels headed to the Peach Bowl, so I'm pretty happy about that. We're going to take on Penn State later in the uh, month here, and then we're going to have our Air Force Falcons uh, take on – actually, I don't know who they're taking on, but uh, they are at the Military military Bowl. So uh, very exciting to see our 8-4 and Falcons go bowling this season – uh, it was a great kickoff to the year. We went 8-0, and then all of a sudden uh, we had some injuries, some key injuries that took us out of the hunt and, uh, for, the big, for the big stuff, uh, the Commander-in-Chief Trophy as well as uh, the Mountain West Championship. But uh, those guys stayed uh, intact. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you're going to get hurt in football. Uh, but when they did, uh, a lot of the um, backup guys, they did their, their level best and um, – you know they're they're growing and they're going to come into their own, but they supported the team brilliantly to an eight and four season, and we're very proud of our Air Force Falcons here in this region. So stick with them, and you can always head over to a Air Force hockey game. You can try out Colorado College; it's got some home games coming up, as well as you know the basketball seasons are coming up. So nothing short uh, on the entertainment front as it relates to sports. So plenty to do over at Clune Arena this winter. And uh, make sure to stay dialed in. You can go to Air Force Falcons uh, website, find out when the games are. It's a pretty inexpensive ticket. Get in there and support them. It's a lot of fun. Uh, guys are pretty good this year, I hear. So both CC, Air Force, hockey, and basketball as well. So anyway, glad you're with us. Uh, it's cold out there. And hope you're doing some some local shopping. Uh, hopefully you have not pressed the Amazon panic button just yet. And uh, trying to get gifts uh, over to loved ones and friends around the region. You still have several days. you got about a week 
left to go get some local shopping done and make sure everybody gets uh, that special little gift from you. And you can make it really special by shopping local. Uh, I had a guest on our other program recently. He was telling us about, uh, you know, when you shop local, uh, you are really helping to fill those potholes and keep your infrastructure intact because those tax dollars go right back into our county and our region, and it is a beautiful thing because uh, folks really, uh, you know, we like to keep our own streets safe and uh, not damaging our vehicles and what have you. So, yeah, definitely get out there and shop local. There's some great restaurants. I would encourage you to take a look at a new little shop that has opened in Monument, Colorado. It's called the Monument Mercantile, and we're giving a shout-out to this because there's there's actually a phenomenal story associated with this particular shop. It's about 3,500 square feet in the town of Monument, which is northern El Paso County. And they, uh, a father and a son, have opened this mercantile in response uh, and in uh, basically celebration of uh, their his wife and uh, the boy's mother's life. She passed away last year. And Mike and Brody Love have opened up a 35,000-square-foot mercantile. It's a very eclectic setting. They have uh, furnishings. They have... Uh, apparel. They also have some, you know, some very unique old-fashioned candy stuff. It's just a great retail center, and it is booming. So lots of local stuff out there, and it's not cheap handmade stuff that you find at a necessarily at a fair. I mean, this is high-quality goods, and you go up in there, and you get yourself something uh, to put under the tree for a special loved one. So, of course, we have other shopping areas throughout the region, up and down the I-25 corridor, and I want to make sure everybody knows Shop local is not just a great sentiment. It's actually good business, good economic development and stability business. So take our word for it and get out there and do what we do, which is support our local businesses. All right, let's get to the main event, which is Joe Beckwith, who's on the line with me. She lives up in Denver, and we had the privilege of meeting Joe. Uh, I guess her full name is Jordan, uh, but she goes by Joe Beckwith and uh, Wayne Pinnegar, who was here uh, a couple of months ago uh, with his partners at Flying Horse Realty. Uh, this is his daughter, and she has had an, a pretty extraordinary journey. And I think you're going to be touched by this show because her attitude and view of life is ab- nothing short of spectacular. And it's inspiring, and I want you to hear it. So lean in, grab a nut, second cup of coffee, and meet Joe Beckwith. Joe, you with us? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Dirk. I'm going to have to check out the Monument Mercantile. I didn't know that opened up. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it does sound amazing. I'm heading up there this weekend as well. <laughs> um, the Tri Lakes Chamber president was here, Terry Hayes, um, on our Friday show. And she was telling us about this. And it just, it just pings your heart when you hear about this father son team. Uh, they lost their mom and Gosh, wife. Yeah. And uh, they opened this up in honor of her because this is something she always wanted to do. So they did, and they bought the, one of the biggest plots of uh, open retail space in Monument, at 3,500 square feet, and uh, apparently it's something to behold. So anyway. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a beautiful story. It is a good story, but so is yours, Joe. And, uh, well, let's get to know you first a little bit. Where are you from, and, uh, you know, where'd you go to school? All the good stuff. Give us the basics. 
Yeah, so I, I was born in California. I feel like that's a bit of a controversial thing to say in Colorado. I am indeed a transplant uh, <laughs> from San Jose, California, but I uh, moved here when, when I was 10, and I was homeschooled, actually, mm-hmm. up until about age 16 when I went to Colorado Springs Early Colleges. I think the name is still the same. It's uh, it's over off of Nevada, um, got my associate's degree when graduating high school, and then headed off to Indiana for college. Did you, uh, like Indiana University? Are you a Hoosier? <gasps> no, I, I went to this tiny little um, like conservative Christian school in the middle of Cornfield. It was uh, Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, tiny little place. Very good. And what did you uh, procure out of there from as, as far as degrees concerned? Yeah, so I, I was only able to go there for a year, actually, because of some of the ankle issues that I'm sure we'll probably talk about here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went out there initially for history, then I switched to philosophy, then exercise science. But eventually, I uh, decided on leadership communication as my degree and finished that up here at UCCS in town. Congratulations. Well, and I know that we'll Thank get to you. that. Yeah, I know you're doing a fair amount of that with social media, public speaking, but uh, let's get into yeah. your journey story. And, and one of the reasons you're here is to talk about, um, you know, something that happened to you back in 2006. Uh, I guess you were kind of an aspiring equestrian. Is that a fair statement? Oh, very much so. I was I was a horse girl. I was absolutely obsessed with them. Uh, I didn't, you know, own one or, or have access. And so I started volunteering at a local barn uh, in return for being able to ride every once in a while. Um, absolutely love the people there. I love being a part of the barn. And one day, uh, I was very excited that I got invited out for a trail ride on this big open field. So I went with a couple of the other teenagers because we were like 13, 14, 15 at that time. And uh, we went for this trail ride, and I was riding an ex-Therabred racehorse. And it turns out they like to go very fast, and I was not <laughs> a skilled rider. Uh-huh. So she took off. Um, stumble a little bit. I lost my balance, had a really bad accident, um, you know, blacked out when I hit the ground. And when I came to, my ankle was absolutely shattered. Oh, so uh, are, do you guys know if you hit something in particular or was just the impact of the fall or both? You know, it is a mystery to this day, Dirk. I have no idea how I shattered my ankle because I fell on my shoulder. Like, that's what I remembered Mm -hmm. before I, you know, kind of blacked out there for a second. But uh, something must have happened where the end of my tibia was broken off and then uh, moved up like an inch and a half into my leg. It was the kind of x-ray that doctors are like, oh, cool, we've never seen this before. And you, you don't want to test doctors with x-rays. <laughs> like oh, cool. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't think that, but uh, <laughs> right? they probably did. So, I, I mean, were you just in shock and, and pretty much passed out during this event, or were you kind of aware of what happened to you? I was aware of what happened because I came to pretty quickly. Um, and then they had to find a way to like, you know, get me out of the field, get the horse. Thankfully, she was totally fine. She just run off. Um, and then my mom brought me in to like, you know, the emergency room and it was, um, it was such a bad break. And I think this probably contributed to what ended up happening, but it, uh, they couldn't even operate on it for about a week, uh, because of the swelling, it, they wouldn't be able to properly close it. So sure. I was sitting there with a very fractured ankle for about a week before they did the initial surgery. Mm. Bless your heart. Well, we're hanging out with Joe Beckwith. Uh, I know we just opened up the conversation with her, but her journey story will touch your heart. There's no question in my mind. She 
uh, as you as you just heard, that was one of the pinnacle events. There was the fall from an ex thoroughbred horse uh, that threw her. And the next thing you know, she has got a very exotic ankle injury. Uh, were you in California when this happened, or Colorado? No, I was in Colorado. I was uh, up in the Black Forest area. Okay, so you had a little bit of a ride to an emergency room because uh, there's not yes, one right there. So, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna unpack just kind of what happened subsequent to that accident and after that swelling went down, and then what Joe does today will absolutely blow your mind. So stick around with us, Joe Beckwith. She is a public speaker, social media, kind of a celebrity emerging. Uh, she has a website called, get this, and this kind of a little bit of a, a bury in the headline here, but it's called Footless Joe, footlessjoejo.com. So while we're on a break, take a quick look at that, and then you'll start to understand what we're talking about here. Back in a moment. I got a nightmare phone call that no parent wants to receive. Someone hit me going 60 miles an hour. Dr. Ramos uh, came highly recommended. When I showed him the x-rays, he immediately knew exactly what was wrong. We've had a tremendous experience with Ramos Law. Really, I could not be happier. Having the car accident was an accident. Finding Ramos Law was no accident. Injured in a car accident? Ramos Law can help. RamosLaw.com. All right, back here with True North. I am your host, Dirk Hobbs. It is Saturday, December 16th. It's about 8.15 now. Hopefully you're on your second cup. And you're listening to Joe Beckwith, who is an absolutely phenomenal human being. She had uh, a a traumatic injury uh, at at the very tender age of 13 when she was, you know, an avid equestrian, aspiring equestrian. She got on, invited to a trail ride. And was put placed on a an X thoroughbred. Uh, you'll have to explain that a little bit, Joe. Uh, what what exactly that means? But that sounds pretty intimidating. Sounds like you're jumping on a Ferrari. <laughs> I think I think basically she was a beautiful horse. She she was a thoroughbred, but she used to be a racehorse, so she knew how to go fast. Uh, <laughs> and I'd only ever taken her out in arenas, right? Where, you know, it's boxed in, you're safe. Mm-hmm. But you give a horse an open field who knows how to run, and they're going to do what they know how to do. Guess what? They're going to run. Uh, you remember the name of that exactly. horse? Oh, yes, Georgia. She was beautiful. Oh. She was this uh, deep red color. I loved her. <laughs> All right. So have you, certainly you saw Georgia subsequent to your injury. Um, is she still with us? It's been a while. No, she. I, I actually reached out to the uh, barn owners a few years ago after, you know, kind of going through what I went through a couple of years ago and found out that she had very peacefully passed away at an old age. Yeah. Uh, so I was bummed that I couldn't see her, you know, again since I was a teenager, but uh, she had a great rest of her life. Indeed. Well, certainly hope George is looking down on you, but uh, on a fateful day in 2006, <laughs> uh, she kind of, she lost sight of you and you fell to the ground and really shattered your ankle, uh, and yeah. as, as you almost uh, comedically state, uh, the orthopedic surgeons were like, "Oh, that's cool! I've never seen that before." <laughs> Good grief! Uh, no, no shortage of a sense of humor there. Um, how did uh, mom and dad Wayne and Julie take this? Uh, do you recall kind of their response to what was going on, or were they just doing the, "Oh my goodness, my child's in in trouble. We need to." jump on board and get get to work here. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, they, they're both very fantastic at, you know, showing up when it's time to show up. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, I mean, they were very on top of everything. My mom, because uh, she homeschooled us, um, so she, you know, was able to take me to, you know, subsequent uh, doctor's appointments and the surgeries that I had to go through after that. So they were they were very, very present. I remember that very distinctly. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure... It was a horrifying thing to go through. I, I don't have kids myself personally, mm-hmm. but even seeing, you know, my nieces or, or nephews get bumps and bruises, it feels awful to see. I can't imagine, you know, what they had to go through with that. Absolutely. And you were at the tender age of 13, as I mentioned earlier, so that probably puts you at eighth grade-ish. Um, and yeah. obviously, you've just had a traumatic experience. You're laid up in the hospital. Um, you, you spent some time in the hospital with that shattered ankle because they really couldn't go to work on you right away correct yeah they actually sent me home um so i was at Wait a home minute. With, uh, what? With, you know <laughs> a bone shoved up in a, yeah this actually happened <laughs> they sent you home i don't know why wasn't yeah uh so that the swelling could go down um so they just had me elevated for i think i think it was about a week before they could actually operate on it oh my goodness okay so do you remember where you went were you at uh, uh, one of the Centura hospitals or UC Health? What was Memorial back you know, then? No, maybe Penrose, maybe Memorial. I'll be honest, that part is a little blurry. A little fuzzy, but they took good care of you. And um, so how, how many surgeries have you had? I think by this point, I've had just about 25 uh, because, you know, it, it, what should have been uh, – an easy fix relatively, you know, reset the bone, go in there, screw it together. Mm-hmm. It just never seemed to work right. Uh, so after the initial one, they had to go back in surgically, you know, re-break it because it healed wrong, oh. redo the surgery, and we thought, okay, we're good. You know, bummer that it had to happen twice, but uh, then the pain just got worse, didn't go away. I remember I was eating, like, Advil, like candy as a teenager, which cannot be, you know, good for you just no. to try to get the swelling down, deal with the pain. And eventually uh, after a few more procedures, I had to go in for an ankle fusion where they basically screw your foot to your leg bone right? Um, to remove that joint entirely. And then uh, it was actually about 14 years of surgeries, procedures, injections, more surgeries, uh, being on crutches, you know, trying to save my ankle and also trying to still be a kid, right? right. Still trying to, to do the high school thing, go to college, you know, pursue my dreams, but my ankle was uh, continually getting in the way of that. And you were, would you say it's, you were in constant pain? Yes, absolutely. You were, yeah, that I don't think ever stopped. It just never stopped. I mean, that alone, I mean, could, uh, that alone will, will put you through the ringer. Uh, how did you manage that? I, I mean, how it, did you yeah. kind of work through that? I think. To some extent, I think it, I mean, I think it must sort of rewire your brain, especially as a developing, you know, as a developing teenager. Right. I honestly think how I managed was by just moving forward and not really thinking about it, like not processing what I had gone through, um, not really looking at the grief or the loss or the pain, but being like, I just got to get through today. Let me go, you know, try to live my life. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of sort of suppressing, um, kind of the, the, the trauma and the grief of what I had gone through because I didn't know how to deal with it at that point. Well, and, and yeah, like you said, you're, you're an adolescent and you've, you've got, yeah. a, you got enough drama going on around you just being that age. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tack so this true. on in chronic pain, essentially. 
Uh, and like you said, you yeah. had a pretty steady diet of ibuprofen. So, um, yeah. what, I mean, h- how did you kind of reconcile the pain facet of your life with everything else, your social life, your family life, and, and the things you love to do? Yeah, I think one of the issues that I ran into is it's such a lonely thing because no one else around me that I knew was dealing with it at that point. Um, I had, you know, my family was absolutely incredible. I had good friends, like good connections. Everyone wanted to be there for me. But when you're the only person who's in pain all the time, Mm -hmm. the amount of energy that that takes to still remain like uh, to engage in a social conversation, right? To, to smile, to be a person who you think people want to be around yeah. while you're fighting through this thing that no one else can see or understand, um, that definitely takes a toll. And so I think uh, I think it took me a while to figure out how to navigate sort of how I was spending my energy um, because it took so much to do anything. I probably seemed like a flaky friend sometimes, right? Sure. I couldn't always do everything because um, sometimes it hurt too much. Right. Yeah, you just had to check out and manage the pain. Yeah. So were you living at home throughout this process, or did you periodically do stints in like a rehab center or uh, some type of training center where you could kind of re-strengthen that appendage? I actually was able to be at home, aside from, like, you know, immediately after surgery, sometimes I was hospitalized for a few days, but I was able to do pretty much all of it through physical therapy, through still being home. Uh, But when I, you know, graduated high school and then went away to college, that's when it kind of, that's when it became clear that this was more of an issue, Mm -hmm. maybe, than I, you know, hoped it would be, because it ended up uh, taking me away from school. I had to move back home because right. I couldn't really navigate around campus. Um, I was looking at more surgeries. I didn't have the support to do that in a dorm. Right. Um, yeah, so it definitely had an effect. So walk us through that those early conversations about, okay, it's it's time to do something pretty drastic here. Yeah, I, I remember joking with friends in early college because everyone knew, you know, I, I had ankle issues. I was always limping around, right? Like, it was a known thing in my friend group. Mm-hmm. I remember joking about, like, I should just cut it off, right? Like, not that I would ever do that, <laughs> of course, but right. I should just get rid of this, you know? So we would joke about it. And it wasn't until uh, I was 27, I think I was 20, yeah, 27, 28, that I began realizing I just had another, you know, surgery, and that one didn't go well. It left things a little worse off. When I really began thinking, you know, is is this worth it? It's um, there aren't any options for it to get better. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm keeping the same quality of life, which is a lot of pain and not a lot of mobility, uh, and it's going to just degrade over time. Like that's that's a certainty. Is it actually worth keeping my leg? And I began seriously considering, uh, and then talking to my therapist and then my surgeons about the possibility of amputation, which which is not a decision anyone can prepare you for. No, it isn't. So what is the proper terminology for the particular amputation you had? Yeah, so I ended up having a right below the knee amputation, so I still have my knee joint, which I'm very grateful for, Mm -hmm. uh, and about six inches of leg underneath that. um, And that's, yeah, that's where they did the surgery and removed my leg. Very good. All right, and that was in 2018? Yes, it was in 2018 that I made the, uh, I remember sending an email to my surgeon's office being like, let's do it, let's schedule the amputation, and they were entirely on board because they agreed that it was it was time to do that because it was the only 
it was a risky decision with phantom pain, with surgical complications, with literally not having a leg for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they also knew that it was kind of the only, it was the best hope that I had at that time. And so I sent that email and three weeks later, I walked into uh, the Anschutz campus up in Denver and they did the amputation. Did the amputation. And there stood by Wayne and Julie Finnegar. At the time, and, Absolutely, uh, yeah. and they were, you know, watching their daughter make a very difficult choice. Folks, uh, we're going to be back yeah. because what Joe has done since 2018 is really inspiring. And it, it really, you know, if you're completely ambulatory, uh, it kind of makes you think about what your problems might be when you hear the context of this. But she puts it all in great perspective. She has a great sense of humor and uh, a lot of pearls of wisdom for a young lady her age. Uh, who had uh, her ankle uh, and lower leg removed from a horse accident back in 2006. So in 2018, she made the leap, and uh, now she has got a pretty incredible journey story and a pretty incredible uh, outlook on life. So we're back in a moment with Joe Beckwith. Stay with us, folks. You don't want to miss the second half of True North. and events that matter to you. AM 1460 and FM 101.1. The answer. All right, back here, third quarter, True North. uh, Still Saturday, December 16th. It's now about 8.30. And hopefully uh, you're rounding up some breakfast here and getting ready to go out there and shop local. It's a nice Saturday morning here in Southern Colorado. Glad you're with us. Uh, Quick shout out to my friends over at Ramos Law. For underwriting our program here, we really do appreciate you folks so much because uh, you help us meet people like Joe Beckwith, uh, who have amazing journey stories, amazing life stories that we can learn from, uh, regardless of age and experience and anything else. Uh, they just have had something extraordinary happen in their life, and they have taken it and made it into gold. And no exception here, Jordan, a.k.a. Joe Beckwith, is on the line with us. She's in Denver today. But she is uh, no doubt here in spirit. She had a, a very unfortunate horse accident back when she was about 13 years of age in 2006 and subsequently lost her leg uh, after multiple surgeries and attempts to rehab that severe break. Uh, in 2018, she made a very strong decision with her parents and family and friends uh, to go ahead and have her leg amputated. Joe, welcome to the program. Appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, and, you know, we talk about it almost as if, you know, it's it's just, yeah, that's uh, that's normal. But uh, this is not a normal life for a young lady uh, who's got her whole life ahead of her. So how did you start to process? Let's let's take it back before the surgery. Um, what was that yeah. catharsis like and what was that process like? Who did you make that decision with to just go ahead and, and do what? ultimately needed to be done. Yeah, you know, I I think about it and making that kind of a decision, it it can feel paralyzing, right? Because it feels like there's no right answer. You're not going to know the outcome. Is it, you know, better to keep doing the thing I've been doing? Is there less risk that way? But really what it came down to for me, like I said, I, I spoke with my therapist for weeks, even before talking to surgeons. I obviously talked to friends and family, um, people who were close to me, got different, you know, every, everyone had an opinion. At the end of the day, I realized, though, it is my decision. It's my body. I'm the only person, you know, living in it. 
Uh, and what, what it ended up being for me is I remember sitting in my car and envisioning my life uh, with my ankle, with the pain that I was in, with continuing to have, you know, surgeries to hold, hold things together a little bit longer or the other option of, of amputation. And uh, examining that first one felt like looking into darkness right, where I knew that nothing, nothing was going to get better. There was no medical hope for it to get better. Mm. It just felt mentally like death. And looking down the path of, you know, having my ankle removed from my body, though it came with tremendous risk and so much uncertainty and questions I wouldn't even know to ask, it felt like there was a little bit of light that mm. way. And yeah. that's really what it came down to for me at the end of the day. I was just following that and being like, I feel like there's hope in this path and I need hope. So I'm going to follow that. So at age 25, 26, you make this decision, you and your, your family and your physician team make the decision. Yeah. Was there a sense of mourning? Yes, actually. And that was, uh, it was one of the reasons why I started. Well, while I was making the decision, I realized I'm a verbal processor, and so I had made videos uh, kind of talking as if I was talking to an audience about this decision, about, you know, what I'd learned that week, what I was feeling, and I kept those videos, and when I decided to go through with the amputation, I published them, I think it was like the day before on YouTube, um, because I thought, you know, maybe if there's one other person in the entire world who ever has to face this kind of decision, you know, here's my thought process, maybe that can help them. But I really loved making videos. Uh, it was a very therapeutic experience for me. Mm-hmm. And very unexpectedly, I, I started gaining at the beginning a little bit of an audience of people who were interested in my journey. And so I kept making videos, I, I want to say every other day, even as I was like in the hospital immediately recovering from the amputation, getting home, dealing with phantom pain, you know, going out in public on crutches without a leg for the first time. And a big part of that for me was staying honest with my, like, with the grief, Mm -hmm. because I didn't see a lot of people doing that. Uh, I saw a lot of amputees who were at the top of the mountain. They were totally, they seemed, you know, totally great now. They're motivational speakers. They're living amazing lives. Everything's great. And then I saw people who were having a very difficult time living life at all, right? I didn't feel like there was a middle ground of embracing life, like pursuing hope, going after what you want, while also absolutely grieving this major loss and this difference and the reality that I'm always going to be in a world that isn't physically built for me. There's always going to be adjustment. And so part of making those videos was trying to uh, set an example for myself of staying honest and not sugarcoating it. Right. Cause I never really grieved the years of surgery, like right. all the lost years of being a teenager. Right. Um, and so I, I did want to grieve this and I wanted to be honest with myself and with people about what that looked like. And you traded that youth for a, a, an experience in life that gave you a perspective on life that you now carry with you Certainly. today. Uh, what were some of the pearls that came out of the, those first years in between the accident and the amputation? You know, I, I don't have a great answer for that because I, I really don't think I had uh, time to take a breath to, to look at it until mm-hmm. after the amputation. That was when I realized um, that there was a lot of loss, that there was a lot of loneliness. I was finally able to allow myself to face those feelings. And I think 
one of the greatest things that I, I learned and I have carried with me, it's one of the reasons, I'd say the reason why I do what I do now, mm-hmm. is that feeling of loneliness and isolation that comes with, I'm not just talking about medical stuff or losing a leg, but any kind of grief or trauma, it's so easy to feel so alone and so isolated. And those are really dangerous feelings to you know carry with you. And I felt that in myself. And learning that I am absolutely not alone and you are absolutely not alone in what you're going through. There's a way to find community and connection. People don't have to have gone through the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is one of the biggest lessons that I learned that um, human experiences are often more universal than we think. And there are people out there who you cannot be alone with and who will understand. So was there a period where you kind of went through the stages of grief and you know, the anger, the denial, everything like that, uh, and then ultimately came out with acceptance. Is that a fair assessment of, of kind of how you navigated those waters? I think it's a fair assessment, except that it's, um, except that it's ongoing. It's not, I mean, as we know, grief is not linear. Uh, I think there was a lot of active grieving in the first couple of years because, you know, even the amputation didn't exactly go right. So I was still facing more surgeries. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and even now, you know, I just came out of uh, a surgery to kind of fix the nerve issues that I was having. So it is an ongoing thing. And I, at least in my experience so far, there's ongoing grief. I certainly have come to a place of acceptance with it. And yeah. I think I have for a while, but there's always going to be things that kind of poke and prod at those soft places at things that still hurt at, you know, maybe what I wished my life could have been. Mm-hmm. And I have to grieve that and then embrace a life that I do have. Well, and that's that's the point here is you don't strike me as somebody who does a lot of looking back. Uh, you're a forward le- uh, leaner and a thinker, and you are about living life to the fullest. And we're going to get into that here with Joe Beckwith. Uh, Joe, where, where, from where do you draw your strength? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think I've learned, uh, especially in the last couple of years, I've learned that I I do have a lot of strength within myself, but I think that has been placed there by my family, by close friendships, um, by support that I received. And also, I think I draw a lot of strength from um, from investing in myself, silly things like going for a drive in nature, exploring a new hiking trail, mm-hmm. getting out of my head, getting out of the city. Colorado's perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something that, that very much fuels me and heals me. Absolutely. Do you have a spiritual journey that you walk along as well? Uh, I used to. I certainly was raised very, uh, very Christian, mm-hmm. and that is something that I took on as my entire identity, I'd say, for about 25 years. I was very, very, very involved in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's probably been about uh, seven or eight years of kind of deconstructing what I believe, and I don't I don't have a, a specific, you know, creed or any kind of faith or religion that I follow. I feel very open. Mm-hmm. I don't have the answers, and I'm okay with that. Amen, sister. All right. Well, what? <laughs> who are the people that you look to and say, uh, they, they've got a, an authentic grasp of their situation, and they are living life exactly the way I would want to live it? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um you know, I can only think of people right now that I that I personally know. So no, like, big names. But uh, I certainly know that within my community, there are a few, uh, you know, people with disabilities that I know, like Amy Purdy, um, Annika Hutzler, uh, Steve Crawford, who I all know personally. And they've been honest with their journey and with their struggles with me. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, you know, invited me to do the same. 
Um, and so they are certainly people that I draw a lot of inspiration from because they are out doing amazing things uh, for people, for my community, for sports. It's really cool to watch. Very cool to watch. And you mentioned Amy Purdy. You and I both uh, have had that great opportunity of also meeting uh, U.S. Olympian, uh, or Paralympian Noah Elliott, uh, who was also on the show. Yes. Yeah. So you guys have met and talked about this stuff. Certainly. He actually, um, I met him in my, one of my prophetess offices years ago. He's great. And uh, he's a snowboarder. And he was like, hey, if you ever want to learn to snowboard, you know, let me know. <laughs> it's one of those things that people just say, yeah. you know. But I actually, I texted him that winter and I was like, did you mean it? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Come on up to Steamboat. Uh, so we did. And he, he's the one who taught me how to snowboard, actually. So you're an like, active what, snowboarder. What to have a Paralympic. <laughs> oh, I love it. This is a terrific story. A little, a very cool intersection. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys are you you do know how to snowboard, and have you tried any uh, two planks as well, or are you stuck to the board now? I'm stuck to the board right now. I actually just got back from a, a week long snowboarding camp where Noah was there, absolutely killing it. He was coaching, and you know he's an incredible athlete. <laughs> he's pretty so fun. Learning yeah. from him and uh, other coaches up there. Well, good for you, Joe. We're with Joe Beckwith, who uh, is just an absolutely amazing human being. Folks, hopefully you've enjoyed the last 45 minutes. we got 15 more coming with True North and Joe Beckwith. We're going to talk about what she's doing now and how you can watch what she has been doing over the last several years as she's moved into this new paradigm of her life. Stay with us, folks. We're back in a moment. One critical fact that needs to be established is that your injuries were caused by the accident incident you were involved in. For your case to have merit, it must be made clear that had you not been in the crash in the first place, you wouldn't have been hurt. This is one of the most important steps in the entire process, and leaving it to anyone but an expert is a serious mistake. Ramos Law, doctor, lawyer, partner, combining medical and legal knowledge for better outcomes for you. All right, we're back here in the fourth quarter with True North. This is the quarter you've been waiting for. We're hanging out with Joe Beckwith, uh, who's absolutely an amazing human being. She lives up in Denver, uh, but we know her folks down here in Southern Colorado, Wayne and Julie Pinniger. And uh, she's, uh, you know, I'm not going to repeat the whole thing for you, folks. Go back, listen to the podcast. It's a great story. This young lady, now 32 years of age, has absolutely had uh, no shortage of interesting events in her life. And uh, what she is doing with the adversity she was handed uh, will blow your mind. And it's a real privilege to talk to you, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. It's wonderful to be here. Well, we left off last time where you and Noah Elliott, who's a U.S. Paralympian snowboarder, <clears throat> nice friend to have there, buddy, um, right? <laughs> is teaching you how to snowboard uh, on the mountains here yeah. in Colorado. So, uh, you 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 had a below the knee amputation, and now you are finding your way into the world of sports after a horse accident back in two thousand six. Here we are at twenty almost twenty twenty four, quite a ways away from that episode. But uh, you you have taken your adversity and turned it into joy and inspiration for hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, it's it's a privilege to talk to you, and we want to continue to hear kind of what you're doing these days and uh definitely talk about something that you're competing in jujitsu yes 
Yeah, I love it. It is it is the best sport. Okay, I just uh, officially yeah. ran out of excuses for everything. <laughs> that, that I no, have. no, no. You can you can still have some excuses. Sir. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for that permission. But I don't think I'll take. I don't think I'll take it. I think I'll take my cues from you. Uh, so so tell so tell us what uh, are you competing like at a amateur level? What's that look like? Yeah, so um, I'm looking to compete hopefully in uh, January, February right now. I'm kind of gearing up for that. But I learned, uh, I began learning jiu-jitsu and MMA, oh gosh, 2012, I think. And that okay, was when ho- I had ho- my ankle. Hold on. It was an absolute pain. Time Everyone. out. Time out. Did you just say MMA? <laughs> yes, I fought for two years. <laughs> so you, you are a fighter in, in more than one frame of the word. I mean, you, <laughs> A, a spiritual warrior, uh, a physical warrior, and you also like to get out there and, and bump heads with people, it sounds like. I do. I do indeed. Yes, all, you know, all within permission and within the uh, enclosed settings. Of, of yeah. <laughs> I love this. Oh, this is getting better by the moment. So MMA, so is there a season uh, in a kind of a, uh, like a tour competition? How are you doing this? What does that look like? Yeah, so I haven't been able to compete in a little bit because I've been dealing with some leg issues, but I've continued training jiu-jitsu. When I lost my leg, it became pretty clear, uh, even well before that, that um, MMA is a little too full contact for the, like, you know, for the ankle issues I had. Now that I have a prosthetic, doesn't work so well kicking people in the head with a prosthetic leg. They kind of <laughs> frown on that. So I switched just to jiu-jitsu, which is only on the ground. It's submission-based, and... Um, I will say that one of the coolest experiences in my life, especially as an amputee, was relearning a sport and figuring out how to use my lack of a leg as an advantage. I've had amazing coaches who have helped me with that because obviously it's a disadvantage in a lot of ways, right? Of course. But also, um, you know, no one can ankle lock me on my right side. They can try, but it's not there. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that I can do that other people can't. And so it's been a very very empowering journey to be like, oh my gosh, look what my body can do that no one else can't. You know, it's, it's kind of thrilling. I'm sorry. The way you just depicted that was brilliant. Well, you, <laughs> you can take a swipe, but you're going to find it's just not there. Oh, goodness gracious. Exactly. Uh, God bless you, my child. Um, well, aside from, from picking fights in the octagon, um, you you are making a living doing some public speaking and social media, and your message is what? I think a big part of my message is kind of what I was touching on earlier, that none of us are alone in what we're going through, and it's okay. It's okay to grieve loss that you've experienced. It doesn't make you a negative person. It doesn't make you stuck. I think it makes you human. And to look at those losses and that pain, like, dead in the eyes, feel it. Find community. Find people who are there to support you and find a way to, to move through that. Um, that's something that's very important to me because growing up, I had this mindset that I always had to be positive about everything. You know, people like you when you're a positive person. You're a good person when you're a positive person. And going well at loss in my life, I realized that that just closed me off to to being a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, it shut me down to so much. And I think people often look at someone like me who has lost a leg and think like, think that it is something so outside the realm of their human experience. When in reality, I think trauma is trauma and grief is grief and learning how to move through those things with 
uh, with honesty, with humor, finding support, finding community, knowing that we're not alone is one of the most human journeys any of us can go through. So that's a big part of my message. But additionally, um, you know, I, I know I had a lot of questions about amputees before I was one, right? Like people, people stare. They don't know if they can. They don't know if they can ask questions. It's an uncomfortable experience sometimes. But I make a lot of content online uh, on my YouTube channel and also on my Instagram and TikTok about life as an amputee, right? Like answering those questions that people don't know if it's okay to ask and just humanizing things and kind of breaking down the barrier of, I think there's a lot of, there can be a lot of discomfort that you feel from people when you are a visibly disabled person. So like addressing that discomfort and like, let's have a conversation, let's joke about it is a big part of what I do. That's phenomenal. So you're encouraging to move past empathy and have an authentic conversation with you. Is, is, am I getting that right? Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think that sometimes there's um, when you are a person in the public light, especially with a physical disability, there's almost this expectation that you are, you know, inspirational and positive and fantastic all the time, mm-hmm. and there can be a pressure to be that way. And sure. I, like I said, I just, I just don't. I've not found that honest for my own journey. So there's an invitation to whatever you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I don't really believe in, you know, ranking things. People go through hard stuff. Uh, they, um, so they, to come together and be honest in that. Yeah. So authenticity is a key p- piece of your message. Yes. And that, Absolutely. And that yeah. just comes from looking at your situation and accepting it uh, for what it is. And then, yeah. and then where do you take it from there? Yeah, I think that that's kind of been the starting block for me, right? And it's been a, I would say, a revolutionary thing in my life to be able to feel the things. Because when you stop resisting it and you can feel the pain, the grief, whatever it is, it will pass. Like, you will be able to move through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that enables me to face things with, like, with more humor, with more strength in myself and understanding that whatever else is thrown my way, it might be really rough, but I will find a way through it. I will seek support when I need it. Um, I hope to be an example of that for other people as I continue to figure out um, how to do it for myself. Absolutely. And and really embrace exactly where we are, right? Life may not look like what we expected. Mine certainly does not. Um, But what can I do now, right? Like, okay, great. Now what am I doing with it? Exactly. And what you are doing with it is you're putting that message out on uh, a lot of modern mediums, social media, as well as YouTube. Uh, Where can we find you online? Yeah, so uh, everything is under sort of my internet name of Footless Joe, uh, as in Joe minus a foot. Um, So on (laughs) on YouTube, that's uh, my main audience uh, on YouTube, Footless Joe, and then also on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, My website is footlessjoe.com if you want to learn a little bit more and kind of join, uh, join the community. A lot of people ask me, you know, are most of, you know, is most of your audience, and I've discovered that, like, two to five percent is mostly people just going through stuff right yeah Uh, and kind of coming together and supporting each other through that so is there a forum that you're creating or have created where people can kind of interact with you as well yeah so i I try to stay as active as i can in comments and responding to messages i certainly um i certainly can't always keep up with that i also have a discord server but i have found that Oftentimes, I'll see people find each other in comment sections who might be dealing with a similar thing or a similar feeling. And one of the coolest experiences I ever had was I had two people who both followed me on Instagram, liked what I was doing, 
ended up uh, reaching out to each other and they sent me a picture of them meeting in real life uh, and they kind of formed their own support group um, and they met, you know, through the comment section of, of one of my posts, which was just a beautiful thing to see a real life friendship come out of that. Look at you, matchmaker. All right. Well, if you haven't, yeah, right? <laughs> if you haven't fallen in love with her, uh, uh, listening to this show, you certainly will online. You can find her at footlessjoe.com. I know it sounds pithy and almost, uh, sn- uh, almost sarcastic, but it's not. And she has got an absolutely phenomenal message. Uh, you got one minute to tell us what some of your closing wisdom is, Joe. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think the thing that I would, I think the thing that I have learned the most uh, is that life is obviously extraordinarily difficult, and I never want to sugarcoat that, but there is a way to get through it. There is a way to find strength within yourself, and I would say pulling from your community, maybe family, maybe friendships, maybe reaching out to new places. Um, There is a way to get through the awful stuff and some of the darkness that can feel uh, oppressive. Um, oh, gosh, my phone just did a thing there. I hope it didn't catch it. But uh, long story short, <laughs> you're absolutely not alone. There is help and hope out there. Um, and let's all keep going together. Well, you have been a blessing to us. When you have an extraordinary day in particular, when you get in your – did you get the Jeep? You have a, you have a Jeep? <laughs> no, I didn't do the Colorado Jeep thing. Okay. I, uh, I went with a Volkswagen Tiguan. Well, for my dog. That'll do. <laughs> it's got a stereo. So what do you jam out to when you're having just an extraordinary day? Yeah, lately, lately, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to sound so stereotypical here, but I'm okay with that. I've been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift. I was listening to uh, Antihero uh, earlier this morning, which is a which is a very fun, you know, happy upbeat. Kind Absolutely, of she's a Swifty, folks, and so are a lot of you. Don't lie. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe Beckwith, FootlessJoe dot com. Joe, it's been a blessing for our listeners and for me. Thank you for being here. God bless you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great morning. Really appreciate you. All right, folks, until next week, you're listening to True North. Now you're not. We'll see you next week. You've been tuned in to True North. Till next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.